Sometimes it can be hard to be thankful when the stress of creating the perfect holiday gets in the way. Good morning. I'm Chris Williams, and today on Fordham Conversations, we're talking about Thanksgiving. We all have fond memories of the holiday, and just thinking about it can get our mouths watering. But it can be demanding, too, and take its toll on someone. From making sure the turkey is cooked right, keeping the peace amongst relatives, and just trying to keep everything together. Today in our show, we'll talk about Thanksgiving stress. From people's desire to have the picture-perfect turkey, the stress the pilgrims had to deal with on the first Thanksgiving, and how the man in charge of the Macy's Parade handles putting together one of the most treasured Thanksgiving traditions. For most of us, the turkey is the focal point of Thanksgiving. It's the central dish on the dinner table and the star of the meal. But what happens if you don't know how to thaw the turkey, or how to carve it, or make gravy? Well, the people at Butterball have offered a turkey hotline to offer advice on how to make the perfect bird. Mary Klingman talks to us about working on the hotline and offers a few tips on how to make cooking Thanksgiving dinner run smoothly. Uh, I have been a member of the team for 28 years. So uh, I've been the director for 13. We've been around for 33 years. So it's really become quite a tradition this time of the year. Started way back when the, it was an 800 number. It was a brand new idea. Would people have the courage to call up a free number to get free advice? So they weren't even going to. Sh- they weren't even sure it's going to work. So they put six ladies in the test kitchen. And we got 11,000 calls that first year, and then we thought, well, maybe we've answered every question out there, but it turns out we didn't. So we're going to help, you know, now with Facebook and Twitter and all the resources that we have, we're going to help more than a million families this year. Wow. Um, so, so how many operators do you have working usually? Yes, we have um, around 60. And uh, we work both November and December. And, uh, of course, when we first start in November, it's not very busy. But as we get, you know, closer to Thanksgiving, the call volume ramps up. And so the two weeks, the weekend before Thanksgiving, uh, the week before and Thanksgiving week, is just lots and lots of calls coming in, emails, live chats, the whole thing. So what are some of the calls that you get like? Is there, do you find that a lot of the people calling have similar problems or is it different every time? It's really, it can be different every time. It's not, you know, uh, our main, the most popular question we get asked about is something about thawing. Number two could be about food safety. And it's not that they say to you, well, tell me some rules about food safety. What they will do is tell you what they have done and what do we think of it. So a lot of different scenarios that are going to happen there. And then, of course, the third most popular thing that people ask about is, they want that picture-perfect, moist and tender turkey. How do you get it? So we, we do a lot of talking about that. Could you tell me a little bit about some of the most memorable or some of the stranger calls that you've gotten? Because I'm sure you, you have – there are some that stand out. You've been doing it for so long. Yeah, we, we, we talk to people where they get themselves in a real cute mess. It could be that a guy loses a bet for a football game and winds up having 20 people over for Thanksgiving, has never cooked in his life. And so now he's in the grocery store and we're trying to help him out, you know, walking up and down the aisles with him, basically, with the cell phone. So we can get all kinds of scenarios like that of people, first-time cooks, um, that are 
getting into this into it and they really want to pull it off. They don't want to make themselves look silly. So they give us a call, which is the best thing that they could ever do. Uh, we will talk to people who have warm, heartwarming stories of, you know, a widower who wanted to have his four children over that were flying in that uh, week for Thanksgiving, and he wanted to make a dinner without having them help him. And so he called us about four or five times and was nice enough to call us afterwards and say, you know what, I pulled it off. They had no idea how much help I got. So, you know, we'll hear from a lot of people, and they share things. I mean, it's like talking with your friend and neighbor sometimes. I mean, we're there to help you. Or it can be kind of some silly things like a lady who called from Colorado who had her turkey in the snowbank outside. Very proud of that. But she was calling about thawing, which is our number one question. And then it dawned on her that it had snowed the night before, and she had no idea where her turkey was. One of my favorite ones really was a lady who had to make um, turkey for a couple tailgate parties, uh, football games. And so she said the first week when she did it, everybody got sick. And she said, I think it's something that I did. And she had to do it again the next week. So she called to tell us, you know, so we could go over how she was going to cook the turkey and all that kind of stuff. Well, what she had done, she had taken this whole cooked turkey, wrapped it up in foil, put it in her refrigerator after it came out of the oven. And, of course, what happens in situations like that is the turkey cannot cool down fast enough. So this is when you get into more of the food-borne illness kind of thing. So you don't want to do that. Anytime you have a turkey that's cooked, you never want to put it whole into the refrigerator. That's just a great food safety rule to remember. So we hear all kinds of stories like that. It, it sounds like it's a real opportunity for you to connect with people on, on a more personal level than just them you know, going Googling something and, and reading an article. Do you find that the, there's a lot of value in being able to talk one-on-one -on -one with someone? Oh, I agree with that. I think what's was so wonderful, and here we have 60 people, and 70% of the people who work on the talk line, they're all foods experts, and they've been t trained at Butterball University, so they're turkey experts as well. And so they have to plan their schedules tremendously well because they have other jobs and they have other commitments and all that. But this job is so much fun. We talk to so many wonderful people all over the country. You know, it's a great feeling that we get when you realize that someone who really was stressed out now feels better about it, and they can go on their merry way to make a wonderful day. Can you tell me about your background and how you got involved with with Butterball? Um, were you always interested in food, or how how'd you come? You know, how does someone become such an expert in turkey? Yeah, I, I was I was um, a home ec major in school. In fact, all of the ladies here have a foods background like that. They're home ec teachers, they're dietitians, they're nutritionists, they're they're uh, cookbook authors, and you know test you know it's just test kitchen workers. So lots of experience with food. In fact, this year, because we realized that one in four of our callers are men, we are including men this year in the talk lines. Actually, you know, we've never had, in our 33 years, we've never even had a man apply. And so when we realized that one out of four of our callers were men, it's like, okay. And then they did a national survey, and they thought, my goodness, I think there's like over 40% of men now have something to do with the turkey itself, you know, on Thanksgiving Day. So they're in the kitchen, and we know that they're calling because you know, that's one change that we've really noticed. So... Let's include them. And I think it's, it's going to be fun to see, but I think it's going to be a great uh, 
blending in. I think it's, you know, we're going to learn some things and they're going to learn some things as well. So, so there's a training process before becoming um, one of the hotline people. Yes. In fact, we have a, a day, what we call freshman day. And the first couple, you know, three years that you work on the talk line, you'll go, you'll attend this day. And what we do is that we cook 10 different turkeys, 10 different ways, of, you know, so that by two o'clock in the afternoon, we have what's called a turkey lineup. And we'll have all the turkeys done at the same time. And they get all they're out there on the table lined up and so that you can see how the different cooking methods affect how the turkey is cooked and what they look like, what they taste like. And so it's really kind of a very unusual type of situation that's really a lot of fun. And then we have, of course, advanced training days where, oh, we have quizzes and, you know, we have the microbiologists come and talk with us and, you know, we try to uh, get into all those difficult questions that somebody might have. So uh, we do the best that we can because what we want to have, we want to speak as one voice. That is our goal so that we all understand the information, that we all can answer the questions correctly. And, you know, we, we want to give out the most perfect information possible. What do you do on Thanksgiving usually? Are, are you there running the hotline or, or are you home cooking? Or how do your yeah. Thanksgivings usually go? Well, a- actually, if you're going to work on the talk line, you have to work on Thanksgiving. I mean, that's just part of the deal. And so we all know that we're going to be here for at least eight hours. And so, but... My husband has been so nice for the past 28 years that he's made the turkey. So he takes great pride in that. So when I get home, I I am responsible for the gravy, and I have to have the stuffing made before I go to work in the morning. But other than that, they take care of the meal. So he's very proud of that. In fact, it's so funny. Sometimes when we run into people that say, oh, I've got a question I've got to ask Mary. And, of course, Kyle will say, what do you mean, ask Mary? You know, because he takes very, you know, great pride in the fact that he knows how to cook that turkey. You're, you're you're the turkey expert in the household, but you're not even the one making the turkey. That's right. That's right. So it works out very well. So he's very proud of that, and that's the way it is. A lot of cases. I mean, we have such a wonderful day talking to so many people all over this great country, and then we get to go home and have Thanksgiving as well. So it really is a very memorable day, and we just we love it. So if you could give people one piece of advice that you think they should really know that they probably don't, what would it be? Well, I would say now's a good time before the big day, you know, plan ahead. But I would say if you don't have a good meat thermometer, go treat yourself and get one. Because turkeys, you know, we can give you guidelines as far as how long we think the turkey will take to cook. But there are many variables that are going to affect that. For example, let's say you're somebody who loves to baste the turkey and you're opening up the oven door every 15 minutes. That will affect how long the turkey takes to cook. So we can give you guidelines as far as time, but it's the meat thermometer that's going to be your definitive rule of thumb that's when you take the turkey out because turkeys do not have to be overcooked at all. And so what you're trying to do is prevent it from from being overcooked. You know, a lot of people usually think of holidays as a very stressful time and they usually get very a lot very worked up about making sure it's perfect and everything. Do you, right. do you think that's important or do you I mean, is it okay to mess up the turkey? One of the things that we help people with really is a stress level because people really are I don't think people are cooking as much as they once were, and so then, but yet Thanksgiving is such an important day. So all of a sudden, they say, oh my gosh, I found myself in this mess of having to have all these people over, and I don't want it to be bad and all that. So what we can do is just by counseling them and just you know having a little bit of a cool 
head about it, you know, you can give people ideas that sometimes just helps them know that, okay, sit down, you know, like a week before Thanksgiving and say, okay, what do I have to do to pull this off? And then that's a good time to ask those questions. And, and even if you call, people will call us back more than once, you know, and it's just a great thing to do. And so by planning it, getting every day worked out, a lot of things that you can do ahead of time, you know, um, you don't want to do a whole lot. Like, you wouldn't want to make all your food ahead of time because you don't want to serve leftovers, obviously. But there are things that you can do, like sharpen your knife, set the table, um, have your containers available for leftovers. You know, you can kind of get organized that way. And also, you know, have people bring things. I just think that's been a thing in popularity that's gotten to be pretty high, is that when people will share their Thanksgiving dishes with everybody else, it's really a fun thing to do. And it makes your life easier if you are the cook. Great. Thanks so much, Mary. This was great. It sounds like you really know your stuff. <laughs> well, it's at that time of the year, you know, it's uh-huh. just really a fun thing. Have you ever cooked a turkey, Chris? No. I'm okay. no, I'm, tw- I'm 21. <laughs> I haven't had to do that yet. <laughs> See, someday you're going to have to do the turkey, so. Yeah. But, you know, I can always call you guys. That's right. <laughs> you can access the hotline at 1-800-BUTTERBALL. They're operating this year until Christmas Eve. I'm Chris Williams on WFUV 90.7, and this is Fordham Conversations. Blizzards, starvation, lack of food. We normally wouldn't associate these things with Thanksgiving, but for the colonists at Plymouth, these were the reasons to be stressed. Dr. Stephen Stoll teaches history at Fordham University. He tells us about the first Thanksgiving and the hardships faced by both the Puritans and the Native Americans. So can I just ask you a little bit about... um, how our sort of perception of the first Thanksgiving of, you know, pilgrims sitting down with Native Americans and, and sharing right. a meal, yeah. how accurate is that or, or at all? <laughs> Christians in general, um, it was not unusual for them to pause at a certain moment and give thanks for something. If something really remarkable happens, and of course, of course, at this time you're going to credit anything that happens to the direct intervention of God that people would pause and they would have a moment of thanks, or they would actually throw a feast, if they had the food, in order to give thanks for something really great that happened to them. The other thing is that the Puritans were people who believed in the active, daily, and constant intervention of God in their lives. Like, if there was a bad snowstorm, they believed it was their fault. And if something really good happened to them, then they would assume that they had done something that was pleasing in the eyes of God. The Thanksgiving that we have has to do with the harvest of 1621. When the Puritans arrived in 1620, they got there late, the snow was coming, they had a starving time in the winter where many of them died. It was an, it was an extremely difficult, arduous time. There was no reason to believe that, that colony was going to survive. And in fact, other English colonies didn't. So when they got their crops on the ground the following spring, and when they got to that hungry time, and when they then had this successful harvest, they saw it as extremely significant. Because, in fact, when they arrived, they didn't know what they were doing. And like, like most of the English who came to the New World, they were filled with all kinds of crazy misperceptions. The biggest was that the environment was simply going to take care of them. They were entering a kind of new Eden. And they were going to be able to pluck fruit off of trees, and they weren't going to have to do very much work. This was dispelled right away, of course. But what happened was, 
in the trading that they did with the Wampanoag Indians nearby, they encountered maize. I mean, we're talking about one seed to produce maybe 100. And if you compare that to wheat, it's a magnitude higher. The person who was credited with introducing them to this plant is someone who we know as Squanto. He was an unusual person in that he had already been to England maybe twice. He was abducted by an earlier expedition and had probably crossed the Atlantic four times. Squanto had a limited knowledge of English and became their interpreter. And he's credited, we know very little about the guy's life, but he was credited with introducing them to maize, which they promptly labeled their mana from heaven, not giving credit to the American Indians who had domesticated, right, and really created this plant from, uh, from various, from a land race. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade is huge. Thousands of people, floats, balloons. The scope of the parade is almost too much to comprehend. But for the parade's creative director, Bill Shermerhorn, it's all part of the job. He tells us about what it's like to have worked on more than 30 parades and the challenge of putting it all together. Well, I, I came to New York to be an actor right out of uh, college. I was, a, I, I was going to be uh, I was a history major at the College of William and Mary. Uh, came up to New York to be an actor, uh, was working part-time in Macy's uh, basically to pay the rent, and then I was doing a show down in Brooklyn, and someone said, why don't you get a job in the parade office? Uh, so I went up, uh, interviewed, and uh, decided, uh, I, you know, I was looking only for a part-time job because I was going to be a, a great actor, you know. So, uh, But it ended up I took the job, and I have been involved in, this is my 31st parade, yes. So when you first started working with the like with the parade, what what kind of stuff were you doing? Well, I, w- I was answering the phones and uh, working in the office as a coordinator. Uh, on parade day, I was responsible for what we call the graveyard shift. So I would be out there between 1 a.m. and 6 a.m. Uh, as all the floats were being set up, and I saw the balloons all you know quietly sleeping, getting ready for their big day. Then I just kept progressing. Um, up the corporate ladder, if you will, until I finally became uh, basically the director of the parade in about the year 2000, 2001, something like that. I'm sure you have a lot of responsibilities going into not only the planning, but the running of the parade. Can you talk a little bit about what you do? Sure. First and foremost, I head the creative team uh, that oversees basically telling the story. You know, uh, when we're out there on parade day, we start with Thanksgiving and Tom Turkey. We end with Santa Claus and Christmas. And in between, we have this wonderful cornucopia of styles and, and celebrations and things about nature and America and, you know, dragons, whatever, whatever the imagination can hold, we try to put in the parade. So we, we have this basic group. And then there is operations. There is uh, marketing, which plays a key role. And then we also have our own Macy's Parade Studio in New Jersey, which actually designs and builds all the floats. So if you look at it, um, so sometimes I describe my job as causing trouble for everyone else because, I, you know, I get to look out at a blue sky and say, wouldn't it be great if we do this? And uh, so, but putting it all together, one of the great things about the Macy's Parade is we work so well as a team and and the teamwork it takes to make such a massive event happen on the streets of New York. Um, and and we have a few things going for us. It's, part of it is the tra- 
the great tradition. It's our 87th parade. Um, there is a love for the parade by everyone that we, we touch, whether it's inviting the marching bands to be here or it's the NYPD or the city officials. Everyone wants us to succeed. So everyone goes that extra mile to make sure everything's in place for Thanksgiving Day. And then we have our volunteers, and, and uh, we have uh, volunteers who work all year on the parade. It's like belonging to the PTA or, or any other organization you know, across America. What they see is helping us create the best events possible. And so there will be volunteers in charge of making sure all the clowns are you know, getting costumed and, and can get uptown okay and, and then coming down the parade route. And then we have marshals who control the, uh, the tempo of the parade and are on every other block as you come down the parade route to keep the pace the way it should be. Uh, so and on and on. It's uh, so it's a very well-run machine. I always feel you know any one of us could be gone the next day and the parade would always still go on. It's it's a seamless operation that um, and you always have Plan B, Plan C, and Plan D ready to go if you have to. So can you help me just get a, a sense of the size of the parade? You know how many floats, how many balloons? Well. We, we always, you know, it's a, it's a New York tradition to always be bigger and better. And, uh, but this year, it, it, the parade is the biggest it's, it's ever been. We have over, we have 15 giant character balloons. We have, uh, I believe we have 30 floats. Um, there are over 1,600 cheerleaders. There's the 900 clowns I mentioned. We have 11 marching bands from all across the country. So uh, I guess in total, we have about 8,000 people participating on Thanksgiving morning. Um, so, and, and it has grown over the 31 years, uh, I've been part of the parade. When I originally started, uh, we only had nine balloons. So now we have the 15. Uh, I think we had like 12 floats and now we have 30. Uh, so it's just, it's just, it's grown in size and, uh, and scale. Do you find it somewhat challenging to keep changing it from year to year and kind of making it bigger and better while also at the same time making sure that it it stays um, within the tradition and, and keep what people love about it. Well, you, you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what we do. We, uh, we always strive for newness. How do you do that with uh, a, a beloved American tradition? Um, so, yes, you will still have Tom Turkey and you will still have balloons. You will still have clowns and marching bands, but then you will try to do new things like balloonicals, which are these, uh, they're inflatables that are over a golf cart, so they are on the street. So it gives a different level to the parade from the giant balloons up in the sky. Um, we uh, actually this year, uh, there is going to be a robot actually helping to cut the ribbon <laughs> uh, with uh, kids from uh, a great organization that um, they strive to be the best in science and technology. Um, so we, we always look for ways, what can we do that's new and exciting, and yet, yes, and balance it with the traditions that everyone loves. Uh, we look for new cost, uh, the cartoon characters. Um, Finn and Jake from uh, Adventure Time uh, will be part of the parade this year. They, when that announcement was made at Comic-Con, it, it, it went through the, you know, the Twitterverse or wherever uh, in a way that uh, people were so excited that uh, these characters are joining Snoopy and Spider-Man and Ronald McDonald and, and, and the characters people expect to see every year. How do you spend Thanksgiving? Are you, I'm assuming you're working, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, we're all working here in our office. Uh, um, I am actually going to be, uh, I'm actually giving my 
myself and a different job this year. For 20 years, I have been in the NBC truck helping to call the telecast, and I always said my job was to make sure Santa arrived on time. Um, now I'm going to be actually uptown uh, inviting everyone to please join the parade, uh, and then I will be going up and down on a golf cart and, and seeing the live parade uh, for the first time in 20 years to just see how it's all working and are clowns doing the routines we, we expect them to be doing and is everything as smooth and, and as you know spectacular as it at least I always pictured it in my mind. So once the parade ends and you know Santa rides off, are, are you done for the day or you still have to work? No, well, there is a whole team of our parade studio. They probably finish about four and four or five in the afternoon. They literally have you have to you know put away your toys after you finish playing, and they have to literally pack up all the floats and the balloons and the costumes and everything gets uh, sent back to our, our warehouses across the river. Uh, so they're they're still working. Uh, some of us peel off as we do our jobs, um, and then the very next day, some of us are going all over the country to do Christmas tree lightings. I, I for one, will be in Boston on Friday. So do you have time to you know sit down and eat some turkey? Or I do, I do. Okay. Uh, we have a group of friends. Uh, we always have a, like a potluck Thanksgiving dinner sometime around five o'clock. And uh, if it's been a very smooth parade, it'll be a wonderful experience. Sometimes I've been known to fall asleep in the middle of the mashed potatoes. You know, <laughs> it just uh, it depends because our day it starts on Wednesday. I, when I get up Wednesday morning, I don't sleep till after the parade is over at noon because wow. we have all kinds of things going on all night. We have you know, we have the balloon, the great balloon inflation up by the Museum of Natural History on Wednesday evening. Then the floats arrive to be assembled between 1 and 6. Meanwhile, downtown, we're rehearsing marching bands at 3 a.m. in the morning. Nothing like the sound of a marching band at that hour. Um, and, and then we rehearse uh, Broadway shows, and then, then we're, we're on the air for the next three hours. So it, it, it's quite an exhilarating time. Hearing you talk about this, I'm kind of just a little bit overwhelmed by just the thinking about the scope of it and how many people and all the different jobs, do you ever feel a little overwhelmed by it or are you just so used to it by now? You do get overwhelmed, I would say, a couple weeks before when you just see how much many details still have to be ironed out. And But by parade day, there's nothing like standing you know, on Central Park West and looking around and you see all those people who gathered around 6 in the morning to watch the parade, you feed off their energy, and it's probably one of the best places you could ever be. And, and that's when you say, okay, I could do this another year or two or three or whatever. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an honor to be able to you know, be the uh, custodians of uh, one of America's favorite traditions, um, and I really wouldn't trade it for another job. So can you tell me if you have maybe a favorite moment or a favorite memory of, of any parade, whether it be one that you worked on or one that you saw on TV when you were a kid? Uh, well, when I was a kid, I always remember uh, the Bullwinkle Balloon, and I had hazy memories of seeing Mickey Mouse in the parade. Um, and uh, you know, so it was a family viewing tradition. Like most people, you, you come in, watch a little bit of the parade, then you go away, and then you come back. Um, now, I, now, of course, I, I make my family watch it from beginning to end, you know. Uh, but uh, probably the most wonderful parade we do, and I mean this in a way because of the spirit and what it meant to America, was the parade after 9-11. Um, we were one of the, after the marathon, we were the next big event to come along. Um, 
and we, we opened it with a Statue of Liberty float instead of the turkey. Uh, Betty Buckley sang America the Beautiful. Um, there was a wonderful moment and a salute to our fallen firefighters and heroes of that day. Um, it was it was a parade that celebrated the best of America in a way that you couldn't appreciate till you actually did it that day. And there was something quite wonderful and it was quite emotional when Santa arrived. That a we we made it through safely and everyone was 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 able to embrace that moment and and celebrate as and it was truly a moment of Thanksgiving that um, you know you don't forget. Have you ever had in the years working on it a, a really terrible weather day to have the parade? Oh, we, we've had yeah, we 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 have lived through all of them. Uh, there were three years in a row it was pouring rain, um, and believe me, when uh, at one a.m. when you were getting ready to go out in the parade route for the third year and going, I just can't do this again because uh, <laughs> because it was that like thirty-six degree you know rainy weather, and it, it and it had rained like for two days before. It was just all the rehearsals, everything, you were just, your skin was just wrinkled. Um, but you got out there, and once you're wet, you're wet, and you you just do the parade. Another, in, in uh, the late 80s, we had snow, and it was one of those rare occasions where at 2 a.m., I'm calling uh, the city officials to say, we need a snow plow because I can't get the talent trailers into the driveway where they're supposed to be because there's snow in the way. <laughs> and it was amazing. Fifteen minutes later, there they came. Turkey for me, turkey for you. Let's eat the turkey in my big brown shoe. Love to eat the turkey at the table. I once saw a movie with Betty Grable. Thanks for listening to Fordham Conversations. You can catch us every Saturday morning at 7. Or you can listen to us online at WFUV.org. Also, you can like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. And if you've missed a bunch of shows, don't worry. They're all available to download as a podcast from the iTunes store. Stay tuned. George Bodarkey and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Chris Williams.